Welcome to the Tapping Into podcast with Sarah Tobin. That's me. I've created this podcast to help you discover and tap into spiritual, alternative and natural practices that could really change your life. I've been on a spiritual journey my whole life and I'm now an EFT or tapping practitioner. In this podcast, I have honest conversations on topics that I hope will deepen your soul connection, allow you to reclaim your power and confidence, know that you're not alone and feel inspired to find out more. I really hope this helps you on your journey. In today's episode, I talk to Brighton-based Becky Hans, a remedial massage therapist, pre and postnatal specialist, doula, and co-author of The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-Be. Becky talks so much sense and gives some brilliant tips for mums-to-be, new mums, and also for mums who have been mums for a while. Her approach to supporting women will be very interesting for healthcare practitioners as well. We cover so much ground here, but one of the things that really stood out for me is the phrase, it's okay not to be okay. And Becky shares an example with this of somebody that took this phrase too far. And I think it's a really good lesson for all of us. You know that sometimes it's not okay to be okay. And there is a time when uh, you need to reach out for help. So there is some really good discussion here um, around what self-care really is and how it really affirms that you're good enough and that you're worthy. She shares some really cool tips um, for the early postpartum days. She shares an amazing idea about a day three jar for your postpartum friend or for a a family member who is just about to have a baby. So make sure you listen to that. Um, We did have a few recording issues with this one, so um, please bear with me. I have done the best that I can with the edit. There's even some like hardcore torrential rain in the background at the end. Um, So please forgive the A, the recording issue and B, the home edit. I really hope that you can see through all of that and enjoy my chat with Becky. Uh, She's such a special woman and is bringing some amazing things together to help women. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy this chat. Hi Becky, I am so, so grateful for you coming on and having this conversation about self-care with me tonight. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Oh, you're so kind. Um, I've been to you now for, gosh, t- only two massages. It's but two. It, I think it's only been two. <laughs> Maybe more, but my well, God. Maybe we connected deep then. Yeah, we did. I've known you for forever. I know, I know. Um, but they lit, they are the most standout massages I have ever had. <laughs> so I would love to know kind of, and I know you have a you know a history in a TV of being a TV producer and but you you kind of carved out for yourself a very niche path away from that. How did you do that? Um so I think funnily enough, I when I did my training, um I did a course abroad in Thailand, my one one of the first courses, which was just standard massage. And uh, there were 10 of us on the course. And I think eight of us were media burnouts. <laughs> so so we'd all been in the film industry and kind of it's fun, but it's really long hours. It, there's no self-care. There's no, you know, balancing family life. And I was young and I was single at the time. Um, so it was fine. And I, I loved it. It was it was so exciting um but I'd always really dreamed about kind of when I was younger I always thought I'd be like a doctor or a vet I always loved looking after people and what was quite funny is as a producer you have to look after people you have to make sure everybody's okay they're they're doing what they need to do and you know people are stressed so I always had all these different lotions and potions for like headaches or colds or so a lot of my my job as a producer was actually kind of making sure people felt okay and I remember somebody saying to me you're too nice for this industry like you need to do something more caring and I was like well funny you should say that 
Um, and I had a lot of massage while I was working because we had a lot of money. You know, media is very nice paid. And, um, and I was so stressed all the time. And so I loved it. And I kept thinking, well, maybe I should just do this. This, look, this is really fun. And I've always really loved the body and been interested in kind of the way the body works. And so, yeah, I, I basically went freelance. Um, and so I worked on a film. Then I had like a few months off. And then in those few months off, I would do a different course. Um, and doing it that way, was I was very lucky and very fortunate that I was able to do quite a few different courses and see what, what I kind of fancied going into. Um, and that's when I kind of specialised in pre and postnatal, just because I was so blown away by how amazing the body was, that we could grow human beings. So, that's incredible. So it's like, it's like all those different things have given you this special sauce. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think... The, the good thing about when you do lots of different training and, and particularly having the privilege of being able to go and train in other cultures and mm. people in the UK from other cultures, you learn very different ways of studying the body. So some of my courses were very medical, some of them were very spiritual and some of them were like a mix of the two. So when you do that, and I think also years of experience, but when you do that, it means that you can kind of pull in what you need when you're treating people. So I think that that and you, and you learn to kind of read the body in different ways as well. So if one kind of discipline isn't working, you're like, mm, OK, this body doesn't like this. I can change it up and I can use something else. I'll do it. I'll do it a different way. Wow. And would you be tapping into your own intuition for that? Yeah, I definitely feel like now for sure. Like when I first qualified, um, I've been working for, I don't know, maybe like five years and I used to go back and assist as a, a teaching assistant in sometimes when they were doing exams and you'd you'd have like first year students and you'd say right can you feel that muscle and they kind of look at you blankly and you'd remember that that was you one whereas now I think years and years down the line my my fingers are so sensitive in fact the kids were teasing me recently because I got a paper cut and it really hurt and I was like I think it's because my, my fingers are more sensitive than yours <laughs> You know, I can now feel when the muscles don't like what I'm doing and if they're not going to work with me, I have to change it up a bit and, and work a different way. And I think that that takes, yeah, that takes time. But that, that seems very unique to me, like really, really special. I think actually lots of therapists who who have worked for a long time. And I think I always remember one of my teachers saying to me, and it always stuck with me, um, when you think you know everything that's you're not safe to treat anymore like we never know anything so I think all the really good therapists that I know are ones that are constantly being and and, and not even learning from other teachers but le we learn from our clients you know from their stories and their journeys and um yeah so I think it's also being open to always learning and never thinking that you know it all because quite often um something will surprise me it's not what I think it is and and so keeping yourself open, I think, is really important as a therapist. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I love having like loads of different almost modalities collected and you can just like dip in and out of things. Um, I remember when you were talking there about feeling and sensing, you put your hands on my stomach and just started to massage. And I just broke down into tears. Like, I suppose we're holding so much in the body that we just have no clue about. And your training has kind of tuned you in to, to, to really feeling what needs to come out at a physical level. Is that right? Yeah. I think I'm very lucky that I feel like my hands are quite intuitive. So sometimes I'll feel mm. drawn to an area to, to work. And that's, you know, wherever that comes from, I feel very fortunate to have that. And we also have like a really trained eye. So that time... I felt drawn but I could also see that you were shallow breathing that you weren't expanding your ribs properly so I could feel that there was tension and stagnation under the ribs that we needed to release so we started breathing and um, moving the fascia which is uh, like our matrix it stores all our emotions and all our experiences um, you had a really good release didn't you which was yeah yeah it's incredible and we talked about that didn't we that's like sitting kind of where the the solar plexus chakra is at the bottom of the diaphragm and that's kind of relating to our sense of self and our confidence and our joy so that area is extremely important yeah really is and it's funny because sometimes you find that your your disciplines conflict so in in the more medical training often we're taught if if a client has that um 
that emotion stored to move away you know let's not go there that's that that's too much and in your fascial <laughs> training which I was very happy to do with a great company uh, called T3 Education and, and they teach you to really go there because that's what your client needs you need to go there and you need to almost take them back in their body and get them to feel that feeling so that they can release it otherwise we end up squashing it down and then it comes out in other ways so um yeah you sometimes you, yeah you sort of you have to have these inner conflicts as well and you're like are they okay to go there is it is it safe enough and so I always have a little chat with clients and say mm. you can stop me at any time if it feels unsafe then then that's not good for you so but this is a safe space and you know you can wipe your nose on my sheets and I'll <laughs> you. so it's sort of we go at their pace as well that's amazing and you talked there about disconnection and I, I experienced that a lot myself with my own trauma and and with people that I work with how do you see that disconnection in the body like how does that feel to you how does that present to you so the first thing you do when someone comes in is you take a really thorough um like consultation with them and you listen like you listening is one of our biggest parts of our training so you really listen to what they're saying um and often people will come in and say I'm fine I'm fine I've got no aches and pains and so when they when we start massaging and we suddenly feel <laughs> there's so much tension and there's so many bits that aren't really where they're supposed to be, you realise that that person isn't really in their body because they should be feeling more than they're feeling. So whether that's um, just because they're too busy or whether it's because it's holding trauma and they've disconnected from that trauma. So you have to go gently because we don't want it to all come pouring out. Mm. But yeah, you a lot of the time, if, if what they're saying and what you're feeling doesn't tally, then that's a big sort of disconnection flag. Right, that's interesting, isn't it? So the red flags, you know, I think with self-care, um, we, can, we can keep going, keep going, and all of a sudden reach this, like, I'm going to drop off a cliff point, can't we? And <laughs> and if we've not put like our strategies in place to to prevent that, that that can be really dangerous for us. And I don't think we realize um, how detrimental burnout can be. How, how, what does burnout look like to you and for the clients that you've worked out? Um, the, the trouble with burnout is it's, it's, it's sort of like a slow burner. And so, and particularly with mothers, um, it can be really misdiagnosed. So burnout looks like being really tired, uh, lacking motivation, you know, feeling slightly depressed, being a bit anxious. And, and unfortunately, they're all symptoms of being a parent often. And so I've seen, unfortunately, a few people fall through the net and, and kind of fall off the cliff, like you say, as clients, because the burnout has been misconstrued as being, you know, just, just a tired postnatal parent. Um, so I think Alexis and I talk about this with the mother box quite a lot. You know, this, this it's okay not to be okay. I agree I agree but I think it's really important that you say and I did I think I did a post on IG about this a while ago that I had a client who I ended up actually having to call an ambulance because she I remember this yeah Yeah. Um, and she there were a couple of reasons that she didn't reach out first she was scared because you know um we're always scared of being judged as being a bad parent um Secondly, she didn't really know where to go to. She didn't know who to reach out to. I think the last thing she said, which really stuck with me, which is why we talked about this quite a lot um, in on our IG, is she said, well, you know, everyone says it's okay not to be okay. So I just thought it's just how it is. That's, that's sort of a bit misleading. But it's so important that if we're not okay, we reach out. We don't think it's okay to not be okay. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, of, it's kind of that goes too far, doesn't it? Too yeah. far down the line. So yeah. I think we all, we always say as a rule of thumb, you know, yes, we're going to have days where we feel depleted and yes, we're going to have days where we feel a bit tired or a bit down or a bit anxious. But if those days are outweighing the days where you don't feel that way, then possibly it's time to reach out. And I mean, even just um, Lex, Alexis, suffers with anxiety and quite often she'll say to me I don't feel quite myself at the moment will you just keep an eye on me and I'm like yeah sure cool and so I'll kind of say to her if I think that she's you know acting overly anxious or if she's a bit disconnected and I think it's quite an honor to just just reaching out even if you start with just you know somebody at home or a friend and just say I'm just not feeling quite myself um, because unfortunately it is a slow burner but then you do like you say sometimes quite quickly 
quickly we can fall off the cliff and we've almost gone a little bit too far to bring it back ourselves and then you know we need to seek help and then I suppose it's it's finding the right support for you because there's so much out there like you know where where do you go for that I, I, I suppose a GP is a great place to start GP is a good place um there are some really good support networks like Pandas, uh, Maritons, Mind. And I think, you know, they've got 24-hour helplines if you feel really desperate. Um, a GP is a good place and you can ask to be referred for some talking therapies if you have the means to access it yourself. Um, there's a few... Um, charities. I can send you the links, actually. And they've started running... Um, courses so it's like an eight-week course and it's designed to help uh, mums primarily actually but I think parents to um, to to cope with the transition into motherhood because Mm. depending what baggage we've got stored in there you know I I had a real shock you know my my mum and I have a great relationship now but she had an addiction trouble as, as a kid um, and that really came back and bit me on the arse when I had my first baby. And I didn't expect that at all. You know, sudden childhood stuff came up really strongly for me. And I remember thinking, God, I wish someone had said this is a this is something that could happen because I know lots of people that had the same thing. So yes, it's a huge trigger for not being supported. And I kind of also think it's around feeling vulnerable, like you're so vulnerable giving birth and you're so vulnerable in those early days of recovery. Um, and if you have been vulnerable in the past and have been hurt, then you will, you know, you'll kind of automatically go back to revert to, well, when was I vulnerable f- before, you know, and you'll, you'll, you'll then s- suddenly become the four year old child again who who didn't get the love and attention she may have needed or something. So, it, yeah, it's very hard. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, we talk about that quite a lot when we teach antenatal classes and just say, look, it's just something to keep in mind. You know, you could start some therapy now. You might want to look up a therapist for later just in case, because a lot of the time with these things, it's better to kind of have it there ready and not need it than to really need something and then not have the wherewithal to kind of access and, and, and research it. Great advice. Um. We've talked about the term self-care and again, I'm sure it's a like multi-billion dollar industry globally. Um, <laughs> I mean, from face masks to hardcore therapies, you know, it's, it's a huge spectrum of items. So when you talk about it and we'll get onto your, your book in a minute, but what what is self-care for you? Yeah, self-care for me isn't isn't the face mask bubble baths and you know I I almost see that as pampering I think it's lovely it makes us feel nice I for me it's having enough water it's making sure that you're making yourself nice food you know I remember um when my first she's 15 now but when she was baby I remember um having this day where I was just obsessed with the fact that I had to make loads of really nice weaning food for her and I had all these batch cooks going on and I was sort of in a bit of a stressed state doing it because I'd made it into this big thing and I was eating cheese on toast and I was thinking what am I doing this is exactly the sort of thing that we tell women not to do like I'm making organic you know spinach and cod puree over here and I'm you know eating toast so it's actually prioritizing our our own needs um making sure we get the sleep you know we have a crazy stoic response to the postnatal period and you know how many times has somebody said to you oh you're never going to sleep again and that's not sustainable like we can't not sleep we need sleep otherwise it does things to our our mental and physical well-being so it's kind of I think it's prioritizing your needs and making sure that you are looking after yourself um the other day I I have um, a low thyroid so I take uh, a medication for it and the other day I remembered to call up and, you know, reorder my medication. And I had a moment where I thought that's self-care, you know, literally put myself at the top of my list and, and did a job that I needed to do. And so I think that that's for me, it's not, you know, and we always say it's the little, little and often. So rather than, you know, one spa day once a year, probably going to, you know, will be lovely, but won't do much for the day to day. It's just little things every day, you know, um, I saw Mary Meadows on her Instagram the other day doing um, uh, something called like what my future self will thank me. Yes, I love that. Yeah. That's self-care. That there is self-care thinking, okay, what can I do tonight for myself tomorrow? You know, that's going to make my day a bit easier. And it's it's the little, little and often. Little and often. And 
what are the benefits that you would kind of receive from that increase in your own self-care and and self-awareness of what you need well if you're doing little and often you're rewiring your your thinking you're rewiring your brain so rather than getting into this cycle of putting yourself at the bottom of the list and doing everything for everybody else and then maybe treating yourself once you know if you're you know a couple of times a week going to bed early and having an evening lie-in your your body will relax your body you know your, your stress levels will lower but you'll also be reprogramming your reprogramming your brain that that's okay it's important you're not going to feel guilty about it if you're doing it often i think also if you're doing it once in a blue moon it becomes a massive thing that you don't have the brain space to do you know sort of to plan a day away or to plan a weekend away they're great and if you can do them definitely do them but they're quite big things to plan so they can end up more stressful whereas if the little things often will take little brain space if they become a regular thing just building up a habit of putting yourself first absolutely yeah and why do you think mums might not even go there they might not even be aware that they should be looking after themselves first I just think as a society we need to do better like I I think we're moving in the right direction and I think it's so much better now than it was when I had my first but I I just think that we as a society congratulate people to just keep going keep going keep going and show up you know we have a real showing up culture um and when I was training in Thailand you know it's it's so different you are not expected in fact you are frowned upon if you show up you know you are supposed to go to bed and rest and be nurtured and looked after and I I did a stint in a postnatal clinic massage clinic and I remember this woman coming in and this midwife really going off at her and I was thinking oh I couldn't understand or see what she was saying and another midwife came over who spoke English and said oh she didn't she didn't come for her treatment yesterday and like this midwife was really laying into her and basically (laughs) saying like oi you didn't come and you know you've got to look after yourself and the mentality over there was very much like if you are okay your baby's okay you know whereas I think we're a bit focused and forget to ask the mum if they're all right you know um and actually a lot of the tears that happen in my room are when you say to somebody and how are you and then they just burst into tears because we don't ask mums that very often yeah yeah baby how are they sleeping are they good you know since it's like, of course they're good. Babies aren't bad. And no, of course they're not sleeping because they're not sleeping. <laughs> you know, it's sort of... So, um, yeah, I think as a society, we're not... Um, we're made to feel bad almost when we take time out for ourselves. Yeah. And do you... You know, going back years and years ago, you know, hundreds of years ago, do you think we were better then? We were more maybe in tune. Um, I'm thinking like Red Tent era. and yeah. You know... Like we have lost that connection with ourselves and what we need. I think is the, the rise of the masculine, if I'm, you know, yeah. not correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think I think there's that thing of obviously living more isolated. We don't live in tribes, you know, we don't always live very close to family and, and close friends. Um, I think, I do think you're right. I think in, in the kind of the rise to become equal, sometimes as, as women, I think we... Um, we don't look at our cycle our cyclical self and and our kind of tender sides I think we're trying to keep up with everybody else all the time and he is busy and important I think stress is glamorized you know I I remember really learning that in my course you know in the media everyone's stressed you're stressed all the time and almost it was like a badge of honor it was like I'm so busy I'm so stressed um and then when I did my training you learn how dangerous stress is and and how how you know what it does to your body and you're like oh it almost was so insane to me that we glamorize it so much you know when when people used to say I'm stressed I never used to think oh your immunity is going to be really low and you're going to be under pressure and you know (laughs) and you're going to get a chronic illness exactly you're like oh wow they're really important you know we need to de-glamorize being stressed it's it's not you know it's not a badge of honor and 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 almost seeing rest as as doing the work like rest is important that that should be a badge of honor you know I'm resting we should we should be awarded for that really yeah I hear here to that 100% <laughs> now you are the co-author of two beautiful little books so the little book of self-care for new mums and the little book of self-care for mums to be um and um, did you create these books out of I suppose the lack of awareness and 
tools in in society did you just see that there was a big need a big gap uh well yes and no so what what happened first is alexis and i set up the mother box um we wanted to kind of make gifting more about nurturing mum and less about you know nappy cakes and babies um and i'd wanted to do it for years and then you know was just was didn't have the time or the headspace and then I moved to Brighton and met Alexis and she was we were both on the same page so we set it up and what we did is we put in in each box we had a little booklet that had all our sort of self-care top tips so you could heal and nurture your body postnatally so it was easy for women so we had bath herbs and you know hormone balancing herbal teas that our lovely herbalist Jo Farron um does for us and she's amazing she's like a herbal wizard um and so what happened was um, an old massage client of mine from Penguin had seen one of our boxes. I think somebody maybe at the office had been given it. And she called and said, oh, um, I have just realised we've got loads of books on being pregnant, but we don't actually really have anything about being postnatal or how to look after yourself postnatally. Do you fancy writing a book? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah. Um, so it sort of came about, I mean, we were very lucky. It was sort of handed to us, really. But we, we had started with the booklets because we were like women. I think what we had realised from working with women is that you're not really explained what happens to you postnatally. So if you don't know, you can't lean into giving yourself that support. So when women understand what their hormones are doing, they understand why they're feeling the way they're feeling and and what rest will do to help that. And so you gift yourself rest. But I think you have to know and have that education first. That's what we wanted. We wanted to kind of hand over the power to women and say listen this is what's happening to your body right now do you think you deserve to rest and suddenly they were like god yeah but I think yeah you sort of leave hospital don't you and it's like off you go then and nobody explains what your hormones are doing oh god yeah nothing about the body and what what will come next and the healing process absolutely and and a really simple thing that often makes women completely change the way they look after themselves is the fact that our brain changes you know there's there's a neuroplasticity that happens so the to the logical thinking part of the brain slows down and it's read a lot of blood is redirected to our empathy and our feeling and our responsive side like our primal bit of the brain and so that's why we feel so open and sensitive and you know we've got very reactionary in our in our way um, and I think when you understand that, then you're like, oh, OK, well, I do need to be gentle with myself. This is actually a thing that's happened to me. And, uh, you know. Yeah. And it's normal. Like, I'm, I'm just when you're talking there, I'm just remembering conversation with my mom and she had a meltdown on day four or five after me. And the way she was um, dealt with by my mother-in-law at the time, uh, sorry, my, my grandmother at the time and it left a huge scar on her because she felt she had done something wrong. She felt that there was something wrong with her. And she actually, rather than easing up on herself and releasing the emotion that she was holding, it it became ingrained in her. And she had postnatal depression for seven years. And I definitely think that that experience added to that. I mean, there was there was trauma there too, yes. But I think not understanding that that was just the baby blues, you know, those first few days. I don't even think that was something talked about in the early 80s it wasn't and and there were so many women like that and in fact when I work with doula clients who are having a second baby post a traumatic you know birth and what we know about traumatic births is it isn't always a birth that's gone badly sometimes on paper it can look completely textbook but it's how that person has felt and often it's language that's used it's something that's been said to them that has made really shamed them and made them feel really vulnerable or stupid and that's really stuck with them and I had a client who had I'd worked with as a doula who had had um, a kind of felt that her previous birth had been traumatic and actually what it turned out she was holding on to was a really flippant comment that a midwife had made to her and you know had said she'd been very upset she'd found the birth quite intense and um, was having a real sort of crying fit afterwards and obviously crying is a release it's really important we worry more if people can't cry because it means they can't release crying and the midwife had said you need to pull yourself together you know you've got nothing to cry about <sighs> and, and was really unsympathetic because even the best um 
births can leave you feeling really shocked. Now, she had a duff midwife. Most of them are amazing. So, you know, it was very unfortunate. But the language that we use around women, particularly after birth, when our um, sensory system is on high alert, is so important. It, it can stay with women for a really long time. And I know so many clients that I work with who can remember exactly what somebody had said to them at a certain time. I had another client who was really pushing and pushing um and the doctor had said to her you're not even trying oh my goodness that stayed with her and she had really really bad feelings of shame and not being good enough and you know so I think we have to be super super careful there are ways of helping women you know cheering them on but using using really you know appropriate language yeah and if someone's already running I'm not good enough as a narrative yeah what is that going to do to to their, their their thoughts and their behaviors and their actions and things you know that that's really dangerous because you don't know what people are running in their mind what would be like the biggest complaint that you hear from from new mums or even experienced mums um I think complaint in terms of their care in not feeling listened to um I think it's so important as uh, healthcare practitioners that we learn to listen as well as talk um where, uh, one of the courses I did was called a, a listening helpfully course and you don't realize actually until you do the training how much as human beings our, our brain is programmed to file things away so if we think we know something we kind of go oh yeah yeah I know that and and you sort of almost finish that sentence in your brain and file it away but you haven't really properly listened to the end of the sentence or we do that thing um where we try and jump in and say oh yeah me too kind of and it feels like reassurance but actually when somebody's trying to dig deep and unearth stuff that we then shut them down we don't mean to and it comes from a place of maybe trying to help and support um so they they were two things that we had to really work on in our course was learning to listen without bringing any of ourselves into it and just really hearing what they were saying and sometimes the words they were saying didn't necessarily match the way they were saying it so then you have to learn to read between the lines and so um yeah so I think not being listened to properly um and then in terms of physical recovery a lot of the time is just being tired and not having enough rest time so um in our book and in our courses we talk a lot about like you have to get sleep in it's just not sustainable not to it affects your mental health it affects your immunity um so finding different ways you know can you bring support in can you get someone to come and sit around while you go and have a sleep or can you hand the baby over if you've got a partner at home when they get back uh, and then go to bed early and sort of do tag team sleeping? So we advise that you go to bed at maybe seven, eight. They stay up with the baby, give the baby a dream feed, either, you know, expressed milk or formula at, you know, 11, whatever time the dream feed is. And then try and settle them gently down beside you at about midnight then they can go off and have some you know off-duty sleep and hopefully your next feed probably wouldn't be until maybe three if you've gone to bed at seven wow that sounds good doesn't it (laughs) so it's being creative with ways I had an amazing NCT group actually who I actually massaged all of them (laughs) they they had a brilliant thing where they would meet once a week um Somebody would bring pastries and coffee, somebody would host and whoever was the most knackered would go and have a, you know, like a 30 minute sleep. Oh, wow. And they, and you know, because if you're all with your babies, one extra baby in the mix. And so it would, they'd take it in turns, but each week they'd sort of assess it and see who, who was on their knees and um, yeah. And, and just go and have like a power nap and then come back down. And Oh gosh, that feels like those days are so far behind us in a way and I, I listening to you talk and I'm just thinking gosh for the people who can't get help at the moment and can't have that support I mean what what can people do it's so tricky at the moment it really is and I just I just I keep every night I sit here thinking what can we do like mm. set up um he- lovely Helena who runs lockdown mummers set up a, a walk and talk support group in Brighton where we meet regularly and we walk and talk and we went on Wednesday and I was talking to one of the mums and she's, you know, I think her baby's seven months and she's not really been able to see any other mums, like hang out with anybody. And 
you know, other parents become a lifeline to you, don't they, when you've got yeah. little ones? That's like almost the best part because you you're on maternity leave, you get to kind of make new mum friends and people in the same, you know, stage of life as you, baby similar age. And they those friends can last a lifetime if, if they're if if they're formed, you know, in an in the in the right way. And I just feel so sorry for people having to do feeling so isolated and alone because it's so hard it's really hard and I mean luckily a lot of them are doing you know that when you do NCT you have your whatsapp groups and they can yeah. be brilliant yeah when you're feeding in the night there's usually somebody else online a lot of people are doing online support groups so like zooms and they're great I don't think it's as good as face-to-face but it's better mm. than nothing um but we were saying to the mums, actually, when we saw them on Wednesday, if you've got just one other person that you can go and socially distant walk with, just getting out of the house, getting some, some fresh air, getting some daylight and just having a walk. Like walking is a really good way of talking as well, because you're not sitting opposite each other. You're As you're talking, your adrenaline isn't building because you're walking it off. And it can be a nice way of talking about difficult feelings because you're on the move and it doesn't feel quite so intense as sitting mm. and you're also like not facing each other you know see so yeah. there's the kind of eye contact and nervousness about sharing sometimes you almost want to look down yeah which, which you can do on a walk <laughs> yeah exactly and so we often say you know just go out and have a walk and um find a walking buddy and actually one of my clients advertised on a Facebook she put it on like a Facebook mums group and just said I'm a single parent you know I'm not having much adult contact at the moment does anybody fancy coming for a walk once a week with me and um, she met this other mum and they now go three times a week you know? oh, wow. and obviously when you're walking you're getting your endorphins up which is going to help your your sort of you know your, it's all your happy hormones it's going to help your mental health as well so trying to support each other and find somebody that you can kind of um, buddy with is, is a really good way yeah absolutely that it's really good advice um going thinking about your book again and and you have incorporated loads of different cultural practices that you have built up and experienced and trained in over the years but what I found interesting is you you really touching on the the emotional side of um of pre and post birth which again I think is is not covered so what how did how did you get to kind of the place where you were I suppose seeing it as such a need but then providing that emotional awareness and support within the books um I think a lot of it has been well some of it was was learnt by working in cultures where women are so held you know so tightly held um and then other bits I've learned from supporting women from various different cultures and just realizing that it's something that really lacks from our healthcare system you know it's all very medical and it's very baby centric so we just thought actually these things make such a difference like it's so important so in the pregnancy book for instance um one of the nicest things I saw and was, uh, a, and actually this was a, a client and, and a, a midwife that I'd worked with that had both mentioned it was to, get, you know, we all know now, and it, well, I say we all, some people don't know, but we should tell women that day three and four or day three to five, your milk comes in, but bone that brings your milk in is a really teary, it's, it's the hormone that makes you just feel like you need to sob for days. Um, and if we know, again, if we know what that is, we can really lean into it and we can almost enjoy a nice big cry because we know what it is <laughs> and we don't worry. Um, and I had a lady that I worked with and we talked about this second time round and she, she said, I just put a really sad movie on and just cried all day. <laughs> and I was like, but it felt good, right? And she's like, yeah, because I wasn't scared by it. Um, right. But one of the beautiful things that we've put in the book, actually, was somebody said to me about getting all your friends to do a day three jar. And we've done this for a few friends um, locally, actually. And so it's basically like getting everybody that you know is dear to that person and getting them to write tiny little love notes. So like a real fist bump or, a, you know, a really like I love you little note. And basically on day three when the hormones are coming in you can actually start dipping into the jar and start kind of reading these little notes of 
of support and comfort from your friends and some people like devour them in a day and then I've had other clients who have read one a day and they've really sort of you know um, taken their time and savored each little love oh my god that's an incredible idea it's just made me all teary <laughs> it's so beautiful and it's I think the thing is we need to feel connected and we need to feel supported and I think that our society maybe I mean connected maybe more so these days with different social medias or whatever but the support can be lacking because we just don't have the resources you know mm. an NHS team unfortunately they are so stretched you know and they do the best they can but um and then postnatally uh just I remember just sort of experiencing all these beautiful traditions of you know putting a mum to bed and in the postnatal hospital where I did a bit of my training you know a mum was massaged every single day you know they had a different type of massage. oh wow special <laughs> soups I know special soups were bought um, you know, and they were all, each one had a different thing. So tell me about the herbal baths. So the herbal baths are made by, our ones are made by Jo and she's amazing. She's Jo Farron's herbal. And yeah. they've got so many different beautiful herbs to soothe and heal the body. So um, she's put stuff in there to heal, you know, like Hypericum and Calendula to heal the, the wounds, um, any, any grazes. You know, they're designed to heal your perineum but also if you have baby in with you they're really good at helping the umbilical cord to heal um there's herbs that are really good for balancing hormones for easing adrenaline levels and they just feel i had a, a doula client who i took some round to actually a man who a bath and she got into the bath and she was crying and she said i can just i can feel it i can feel it like just nourishing my body a lot of the time with these things I mean they work they're amazing but also it's the self-care act of I have run myself a herbal bath for my healing and my well-being and you're mentally going to get something out of that as well because you're making time and space and I think one of the things that is lacking in our society is sort of ceremony and ritual if you're not religious like as a family we're not religious so there aren't very many ceremonies and rituals that really hold time and space. And I think what I've learned in my work with women over, over time is that actually some life things are really big and they need honouring and they need a way of being held and, um, and having a ritual like the day three jar or having, you know, um, we always say to our mums, try and have a week in bed and a week on the sofa. Having a kind of mini lying in period where you're really honouring your postnatal periods can feel really nourishing. That's amazing. And it just reminded me of the the fact that every time we do treat ourselves well and look after ourselves and, and do these self-care practices, we are reaffirming I am good enough and I am worthy. Yeah, absolutely. And that then just builds us up to provide, be able to provide more to our children because we... We're not, you know, we're not always criticizing ourselves, critiquing, have I done it right this way or not that way? And, you know, what if I've done something wrong with something? You know, when you build up your own confidence and belief in yourself, then I don't think it is as hard. Have you seen that like firsthand with some of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to be so careful not to disempower a new mum. And I've seen it so many times with people who really don't mean anything by it. And um, I had a client who um, was holding her baby and she was so confident, you know, she'd had a baby, she was so confident. And I was remember sitting there thinking, God, she's just so natural with this baby. Like I was way more anxious. And then somebody came into the room and said, oh, be careful. You know, and there was no reason to say it. It was, it was her mum actually, there's no reason to say it. It was mainly because I think as a mum you have these burps don't you these mum burps where you need to be in control and you want to look after your child and mm. um and so you say be careful actually when they've totally got it but actually by doing that it completely changed her demeanor and she suddenly became quite anxious and a bit kind of like really doubting herself and oh, no. um and it was really interesting to watch it objectively and to know that it wasn't coming from a malice place at all it was just a mum being a mum um but actually, in that moment, it really disempowered this new mum who was spreading her wings beautifully. And, and I, I remember saying, you're all right. You've got it. You, you were doing completely fine. It's, it's OK. But she never quite, I mean, I'm sure she did eventually. But in that moment, she didn't quite go back to how she was before. So I think we need to oh, be careful. Gosh. 
yeah you know to sit back and um and to only only offer up advice when it's needed or asked for i think we have to be quite careful not to uh, give unsolicited advice to because there's no right or wrong way of of bringing up a baby you know it is very intuitive very much how you want to do it um and you're lear- you're learning on the job i mean you've no like no prerequisite for this it's the most important job in your life and you have not trained for it at all i mean you may have gone to like an nct class or done a course or done some hypnobirthing but i mean it is an on the job training course and it is a you know a, a crash course in how to parent and yeah you have to go easy on yourself for that because god it is so hard at times yeah and i think that's another thing that we lack as a as a society as a culture is to not we don't celebrate mums enough we don't lift women up we are very quick to criticize or to judge if somebody's doing something differently to the way that we did it um and then you see you know in our postnatal book we've got a bit on um postnatal approaches in different cultures and some of it's so beautiful like there's an african tribe who the, the grandmother will always go and do the first bath um, because they want to support the mum and know that uh, it's, a, it's a way of signa- uh, signalling to the mum that she'll never be alone, you know, so they do the first bath of the baby. Mm. In Japan, women routinely move back in with their parents for the first month. And nice. Yeah, there's so much nurturing. And when we were doing the research, the um, editor said to us, are you sure there's nothing like that in the UK? And I was like, I don't, I really don't think so. I've never come across it, but we'll do some research. So we did loads and loads of research. And the only postnatal kind of ceremony or ritual that we could find for the early, you know, early postnatal weeks was wetting the baby's head. It goes out and has a piss up. So we were Oh like, my well, goodness. If that isn't a massive comment. Wow. Then I don't know what is, you know. So, so I think, you know. <laughs> we have a long way to go then, haven't we? <laughs> we do. And I think. Yeah, we are we are moving in the right direction. I think more people are having the conversation. I think social media has been great in that sense because it allowed women a platform to kind of say, do you know what, this is hard and it's not all brilliant and we do need help and we can't do it all like we've been expected to. But yeah, I think we've got a long way to go. Yeah, and on that note, like how important is it to ask for help? So I think there's on one hand, there's not knowing what help you need, but there's another part of us that, doesn't verbalize sometimes even to our partners how bad things are internally yeah yeah I think it's really important I think it's hard I think as again as a society I think we find it hard to ask for help we seem to find it a lot harder than other people um we often say if you can't verbalize it could you text could you whatsapp could you leave a note you know um people struggle to to say it face to face so sometimes you know texting is is a lot easier um we often say to people as well like when you have a quiet moment write a list of all the things that you think you need help with so that you've got it because because sometimes in the moment when somebody says is there anything I can do you're like oh no it's fine because I had space but if you write down all the things that are bothering you so for instance the house needs a hoover or I need to put a wash on or you know and 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 you've got a list ready if someone's coming and they say can I pick you something up you can look at your list and it and you'll say mm. you know, what, you, what you need or if they come round rather than saying no thank you because you can't be bothered to think about it because you're too tired just look at your list and just say one of the things on your list and then each person that comes around can just help that little bit and yeah and sometimes people want to have something practical to do because they genuinely yeah. do want to help I do think that and I think it's an honor to support them yeah I think that often people come round and they don't know again because it's a fine balance isn't it between um stepping on somebody's toes and suddenly mm. you don't necessarily want to start hanging out their their washing if if they might come back <laughs> you do need to ask because then it, it and i and i think i remember one of my teachers saying to me when you ask for help you're opening up the doorway for somebody to ask you for help back you know it's like a pinning a door that's been closed you know so then they they're a they're honored because you trust them enough to ask for help and then b they're like well brilliant I can then do the same back yes amazing I love that and I think with your partner it's almost I don't know this is like an idea that I have but you know before baby comes to to give your partner the job of looking out for you and 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 checking in because we will be in such a daze um that we and we are so preact 
preoccupied and distracted and googling god knows what you know in the middle of the night um and and not believing that we're good enough and everything it's almost like you need to give them the job of prepping you up totally and I think that one of the things we advise couples to do is to write a postnatal plan I think we Mm. um quite often you know people have very set plans I do think it's a good idea to do a birth plan I think you should always do an a b and c plan because what we know about birth is it is the most Mm -hmm. unpredictable thing ever um but birth happens the way it happens what we can control though a lot a lot of the time not all the time but a lot of the time we can control what happens postnatally a little bit so we can control what food we've got in and who we've got in our support group and you know all those little things and actually you'll find a lot of the time that people have put so much thought into the birth plan and they haven't even thought what it's going to look like on the other side yeah 100% 100% oh, the baby. <laughs> often we we know about what the baby needs it's about what we might need and what we might need as a couple as well it's actually important to kind of sit down together and go what does this look like for us as a couple like what what will what will we struggle with and what will we need help with and to sort of almost have an action plan for that and actually when you sit down and do that with couples the look of relief on their face because it's almost this unknown that we don't even go there you know maybe afraid to even think about what happens after the birth yeah definitely it's quite daunting yeah that that is a fantastic idea actually and thinking about kind of the world that we're living in now we may need to have a plan more than ever yeah to to help us in those areas that we that we think we're gonna or even could predict that we might be struggling in yeah definitely and I think now more so than ever it's a really good idea to kind of arm yourself with as many uh, contacts as you can. So I, I was talking to a mum the other day, actually, we had a Zoom and I said to her, look, you know, I'll send you some links, maybe get a lactation consultant number in your breastfeeding problems. Because the, the thing about if, if somebody chooses to breastfeed, it's not always easy. And often it needs to be dealt with quickly because otherwise we can become very sore. So getting access to somebody quickly is often key but in the current climate that's quite tricky often you know obviously that's difficult and virtually doing oh my god imagine I remember going to breastfeeding clinics and being like manhandled like in a nice way but like really physically shown what to do how on earth is that happening at the moment like that must be so difficult for new moms not being able to do that yeah physically there are some fantastic uh, midwives and doulas who were doing um a- amazing jobs at that and and yeah and yeah. there's a couple who I've seen actually who have got this brilliant um it's a knitted boob and a knitted puppet and, and they do lots of almost like puppetry I was watching it the other day thinking it was fascinating sort of showing about different latches and how baby needs to um approach the boob and how to get on it and what's what's amazing about people in general is that we are so versatile and you know so many people yeah. have, have managed to go online and are helping women so brilliantly what advice would you give for kind of a mom who's already been at it for a long time and you know because there's an element of like finding yourself again you know after those first few years and um and and getting back maybe into the swing of work and and your body kind of accepting where the body is or, ch- or or trying to change it and so what advice would you give to to mums at that stage like a little bit later um I think that obviously the later down the line you go the well it's hard isn't it sometimes the more time you get and sometimes the less time you get it depends what your baby's like so keeping making sure that you keep something for yourself so um there's a bit in the book actually called Freedom Friday, which is a, um, Alexis came coined this phrase where she, uh, her husband, found her in the garden crying one night because she was just so done in with kind of you know having to give so much of herself um, for such a long time. And um, he said, okay, this isn't good enough. We, you need to know that you've got a regular slot where you can go and do something for yourself that isn't for the family. And they coined it free, Freedom Friday. So for them, it was a Friday afternoon. He would come home from work early and she would go out and do something. And um, basically, she, sometimes she would go and see a friend. Sometimes she'd just go for a walk. I think she said she went to the cinema herself. But I think having a having a regular slot, and if it's a regular slot... It um, the good thing about it is that it's 
it doesn't take a lot of headspace like you know it's happening so everybody knows that at that time they need to be in this place and then she could go out and do something for herself and I think making sure again maybe it comes back to this self-care thing that we've got a little bit where we could just be us that isn't the wife or the mother or the you know I don't know the, the work person but something that just really fills our cup up for us what would be the like the the biggest advice that you would give to a new mum or an expecting mum right now in this current climate? Oh, I would say get all the support you can pre and postnatally in any way that you can get it. Like if, if there's a time to reach out, now now is definitely the time. So, um, and don't be shy. I know it's really hard, kind of especially Zooms. I think it, it, if you're like a bit of a shy person, I think Zooms can be a bit funny, can't they? You sort of... Um, have to give quite a lot of yourself rather than being in a room with somebody where you can bounce off each, each other but build build your tribe before baby comes because sometimes you don't feel like it afterwards you know you don't have the energy and you're, you're dealing with a, a transition and so you kind of almost need to have your people in place before so whether that's you know putting a thing on a Facebook group and, and meeting some other mums to be or doing doing a um, an, an antenatal course or um I don't know, reaching out to friends you already know who have got um, uh, kids, but definitely try and build your tribe before. Um, arm your partner, if you've got a partner, with as much um, information about birth and tools as possible. So I'm a big fan of hypnobirthing. I think hmm. in couples that I've worked with, a lot of the time the partner gets a lot more out of hypnobirthing almost than the <laughs> birthing person. But again, I think it's the first time that they've really fully understood the physiology of birth and how your hormones work and all the things that you can do to, um, to kind of help. Learn some tools if you can. Um, I sometimes teach partners to massage during labor and it's always so lovely the feedback you know you have these partners who sort of say that the midwives were swooning over them because they'd never seen such an attentive birth (laughs) (laughs) so kind of just as much as you can do to kind of um as many tools as you can get to arm yourself so that you can support each other uh pre and post i think what i would say is that um there's a lot of anxiety about going in at the moment, particularly because home births have been um, cancelled for now. But I've seen the rooms at the hospital and, the, and the, uh, in Brighton, this is, but, you know, all over, the midwives are going out of their way to as, as homely and cosy as possible. And they are scooping you up when you arrive because they understand that it's really difficult. So they're sort of going above and beyond to to support women and to kind of um you know make sure that they're okay that sounds amazing gosh well wishing everybody luck at the moment who is at this stage and and really look after yourself because you know you, you don't get this time back do you and it's it's so important to enjoy it as well as kind of riding the waves and feeling the feels um and definitely asking for help is a, is a great piece of advice Okay, so not everybody lives in Brighton and can come to you for those amazing hands, Becky. (laughs) If only we could clone you. I know loads of my Irish listeners will be like, oh my God, I really want to go see her. Um, How can people kind of access what you have um, to offer at the moment? So basically, I always say just like do your research and look online and look for people who have if, if you're pre and postnatal look for people who have specialized in that because it is different you know your your mm. the way that you support a pregnant body and a postnatal body is a bit different to how you just do regular massage um look for someone who's got quite a few different trainings so not i mean if, if that's what you want i mean if, if somebody's done a few different types of courses you know that they can pull you start working bespokely so you start what you need as opposed to somebody who's just done one discipline and I mean it's different like if somebody's done sports training you are just to to do you know um remedial work but if somebody's done sports and something and something else then actually you're like oh okay that you know they they know what they're doing here and, and and also it shows that they're keeping up with their qualifications and you know we're we have a Uh, to keep our insurances we have to keep training we have every year we have to get a certain amount of um, professional development points Um, and don't be afraid to ask to see their qualifications either we love showing off (laughs) you know I think people are often a bit shy but say what's your experience 
And your books are obviously available on Amazon and other good independent bookshops. Yep, all the bookshops and mm-hmm. lots of independent um, sort of mum and baby um, online shops as well. So lots of different places you can get it. I think at one point it was even on a cardo, which was brilliant. You can <laughs> shop and get a book at the same time. And then you've got your own podcast as well, Notes from the Mother Box with Alexis. So Notes from the Mother Box is looking at the highs and lows of the parenting journey. So looking at kind of birth and, you know, the, the sort of first postnatal year um, and coming at it from a sort of midwife and doula perspective and just, uh, yeah, having people share their stories about their births and their parenting journey, basically, and just looking at all the good and bad bits. Fantastic. I'm sure that will help pass away some of those late night feeds yeah. for people when they're kind of thinking, oh, my God, am I the only person in this situation? And then they get your comforting tones. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. I loved that chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's oh, one of those so um, subjects, isn't it, that you could talk about for hours. <laughs> I know. Like, and another thing. I know, I know. I'm like looking at the time going, oh gosh, really, really we need to wrap up now. <laughs> Thanks, love. It was lovely. Thank you so Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please follow and share this podcast. And before I go, I wanted to tell you about my new Tapping into Motherhood membership and community. I've created a beautiful space that gives you access to a library of tools that will help you release, heal, ground, love and connect with yourself in your own time and at your own pace. From pre-recorded tapping videos to healing audio meditations to ancestral trauma workshops and downloadable resources covering pre and postnatal topics Your mind, body and soul are totally covered and you will find the right tools to support you on your motherhood journey. Plus, you can access a community area where you can share your journey, ask questions and get support. And I'll be offering support too with live tapping circles, Q&A sessions and more. The aim of this is to help you let go of the past, heal your physical and emotional wounds, love yourself more, feel so worthy and to live a more joyful life to find out more visit tappingformums.com forward slash membership and really hope to see some of you there